You're listening to Once, episode 267, Dark Waters, Initial Reactions. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Aaron, And we've just watched this episode, Dark Waters, and these are our initial reactions, our initial thoughts. So we're going to be a bit all over the place, but we do want your feedback, your theories for our upcoming full discussion. We've got that information for how you can contact us and send us your theories and feedback and such in the show notes for this episode at onespodcast.com slash 267. That's also where you can go to tweet out or share this episode on all of the social networks, and we'd really appreciate that. This episode called Dark Waters, when I saw the episode title, I was thinking it would be something completely different. Although I did see one spoiler today, and that was that Captain Nemo would be coming in this episode. I didn't know the title until we started recording, so (laughs) I'm completely spoiler free. And I actually don't know the tale either that they're playing off of, so... It's one of those moments where I'm like, oh, I'm liking the story, but I'm a little bit lost as to what the actual fairy tale or novel or book that it's based on is about. So 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Captain Nemo, you're not familiar with that? Nope. Oh, I've heard of it, wow. but I've never, I've never read it. Or there is, It is one of those classic kind of steampunk storylines. We saw a picture of uh, the Nautilus, which is the name of the submarine. We saw a picture of that, and I believe Captain Nemo fighting the... Um, uh, the giant squid or the kraken in one of the other storybooks that Henry found in New York. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was one of those classic sci-fis by Jules Verne. And it's it's been made into a movie by Disney in the early 50s, I'm guessing. And um, a lot of the stuff in this, like the design of the submarine in this, look very much like that movie. Now, how the movie looks could also be very much like the book was illustrated in some way. So I, I can't really speak to illustrations, the original illustrations and such, but I do know they've done a lot with this movie to make it look kind of like that original movie. That's cool. I imagine that the way I felt was similar to how a non-Disney fanatic would feel watching the show in general. So I still find it really interesting and it makes me kind of want to go back and read the full read everything that I haven't read that they're referencing. It it is a little funny that with this being Disney, they called the captain simply Nemo, not Captain Nemo, but Nemo. And I think for those who haven't seen 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or read the book, they're probably thinking of finding Nemo. And I wonder a little bit if there's maybe some double meaning to the name, like maybe this is also supposed to represent Nemo from Finding Nemo, but I really can't see any reason for them to do that. And it's probably a ridiculous theory that I just wasted your time putting out there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they were just doing a throw to people who who know that it's Disney and and know the name. I I actually used to watch a movie called Little Nemo when I was a kid. I remember my grandma gave it to me for my birthday and it's completely not Disney and not about anything, but that's the character of Nemo that I know the best is from this. I think it was an anime movie from, you know, 
I don't even know how many years ago, 15 years ago. So we all have different points of reference that we're coming to the show with. And it was nice that they gave us the point of reference for this, that they said the time of the dark curse, which would make me think that they are in Neverland at this time when the episode starts, because what we know is that Hook went to Neverland before the curse hit. And Smee had once said we were there. I think he even said we were in Neverland when the curse took Hook. But Hook was with Korra when the curse hit, was he not? Right. Hook was with Korra. Smee right. was, yeah. Yeah, there's oh, some when, yeah, when the curse there. took Smee. Because I just remember the, in 28 years, there'll be a savior. 28 years, and then they put up the bubble. Yeah. The dome. <laughs> So some some interesting things with that little background that we had, some interesting things that stood out with this episode, and we are hitting only the highlights from this. We'll dig into more depth in our upcoming full discussions. But uh, the Evil Queen's relationship with Rumpel is mm, very, very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, and I'm sure everyone else thought this too, when she was kissing Rumpel at the end, that it was all a ploy because then you see Belle and it's like, oh yeah, she's just doing this so Belle sees it and that ruins Rumpel's relationship with Belle. But Belle never did see it. She didn't walk in. She didn't see it. So it's not for that reason. That's that's what I originally thought as well. I thought, well, I actually thought the Belle thing would be just a good kind of side benefit but i originally thought she was gonna pull away like with the dagger in her hand and that she was just trying to get that close to to steal the dagger back or something like that yeah but yeah or while we were watching this uh, we have our live chat room going during eastern and central time viewings at once podcast.com slash live and a couple people had thought that maybe evil queen was going to try and take rumple's heart but she didn't that would have been a really interesting showdown, though. I would have loved for that to happen. Uh, her little Southern Belle accent was really funny. <laughs> See the evil queen putting that kind of accent on. Yeah. Um, someone said in the chat earlier, like, Lana Perea is killing it this season. And I totally agree. Mm -hmm. She, Well, I think she's killed it every season. But she's getting to play... Like every single week, she's getting to play opposite extremes and sometimes even in the same scene. So it's very fun to watch. Yeah. So it seems that Evil Queen wants the shears. Is she, or, or is she offering them to Rumple as a payment so Rumple can pull out Snow's heart? Because it seems like why doesn't, and someone said this in the chat room, why doesn't Evil Queen just poof in front of someone, rip out Snow's heart? When she could do that, maybe, maybe she can't do that. So she needs Rumpel's help. But do you think that the shears were that bargaining chip? I think so. I think that there's, I, I can't think of another reason why she would need them other than just to have the the ability to make a deal with him. So it's, uh, it's interesting though, that they're now suddenly not the shears only to take away the savior's destiny, but they can also cut somebody else's destiny from them. I guess that hadn't really been set out for us yet. So now we're kind of seeing the established rules of the new, the new toy in the toy box. 
Yeah, and this was something we theorized a little bit a few episodes of the podcast ago that maybe Rumpel would want the Shears to cleave himself of the power of the dagger. Uh, or it seems like from this episode, we get the idea that he wants to change the destiny of being hated by his son. Or maybe the destiny of his son being who he's been revealed to be when he grows up. Yeah, that could be too. It certainly seems that Belle, uh, and she said this basically, that she has hope, if for nothing else, that Rumpel and their son will be able to reconcile their relationship. But it seemed like she had almost no hope or maybe even no hope at all for her reconciling her relationship with Rumpel. Which I think is actually pretty noble of her that she's at that point, which I'm very, you know, I'm happy that she's gotten there finally um, in this <laughs> this up and down roller coaster of a relationship. But I think it's also a responsible parent to still want like her child to have a positive and loving and nurturing relationship with his father, even if she's not going to have one. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see them fix their relationship completely just because I really believe in relationships and lifelong relationships and no relationship is beyond repair. Yes, both people have to work at it. And it seems like Rumpel is not interested in doing the work, but wanting these shortcuts and the shears are yet another shortcut. (laughs) See what I did there? To getting his happy ending or get maybe not even happy ending, just what he wants. Well, and it's always about what he wants with him. So (laughs) hopefully it's successful for him, I guess. Yeah. And speaking of successful, you know what makes this podcast possible? Or more specifically, you know who makes this podcast possible? Yes, that's right. Our incredible heroes make this podcast successful. We really could not do this podcast without the support of our heroes. And I was tweeting with someone back and forth this week. They were asking about... Uh, why ask for money for the podcast when the podcast is available for free? Well, that's why to ask for money because yes, we publish the podcast for free. We don't sell like bonus episodes or we don't sell the back catalog or anything like that. You can access our full catalog of all of our episodes from the past. The reason we need your support for the podcast is because it does cost. And many podcasters can do things on shoestring budgets. And that's the incredible thing about podcasting. I teach people how to podcast. So I I teach them how to do that kind of thing. The level of uh, production that we bring to the podcast and the level of attention to detail and such, the stuff that you've come to know us by is only possible with your support because we pay people to edit things, to write our show notes, to do stuff for us, to host things for us, to manage things for us. And that makes it so much easier for us to focus on the podcast and making the podcast great and the conversation great. And and sometimes even when the show isn't that great, we want the podcast to still be something that you can enjoy. So thank you very much for supporting the podcast, making it possible. If you can't afford to donate even a dollar a month, that's okay. You can still listen to the podcast, but if you can't afford as little as a dollar per month, it gets you access to things like our bloopers and you get to know that you are a hero to the podcast. So for this episode, I want to thank Lisa Slack, Lisa, different Lisa there, Jim Babwike 88, 
David Newland and our 27 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much. That number on Patreon dropped just a little bit because there might be a payment issue with one of our heroes over there on Patreon. So if you are supporting us through Patreon, please double check your payment settings to ensure it's all up to date. And that's also where you can go to get access to the bloopers that we release over there on Patreon. So to become a hero, support us through Patreon or buy things through our affiliate links, please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and be the hero and be that successful hero that helps keep the podcast going. That's at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. And as Manic in the chat room just said, all podcasting comes with a price. <laughs> that is so true. I thought this whole thing with uh, Nemo and the L-O-U-S, Land of Untold Stories, or as they seem to call it, Mysterious Island, right? You got right. the impression that they're calling the same place by different names? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Especially with the key there. Yeah. Uh, it seemed interesting that the Nautilus was kind of like a miniature land of untold stories, or that's how how Captain Nemo saw himself, is rescuing these people from letting their horrible stories in life play out. Or is it maybe, he said that, that um, harpoon tip was to help him find wayward souls. So is it, Anyone who has a bad story playing out, or is it only those people who are seeking revenge? Because after all, he sought and got revenge. He rescued Liam, who was seeking revenge, and he rescued Hook, who was seeking revenge. Yeah, he used the words heart filled with hatred, seeking revenge. So I, I don't know if it's that specific, but it seems uh, seems like that's the pattern. I, I wonder if that's the same harpoon I don't even know if he mentioned this, if it's the same harpoon he used for his revenge. Yes, he did um, say it was the same one. Okay, because that makes a lot of sense if it somehow got enchanted with, you know, the blood and the emotions and whatever. Uh, and then it does that fancy party trick at the table where it points to the person whose heart is filled with hatred. It's like a very different version of spin the bottle. Yes. One that's kind of creepy if you think that the harpoon might shoot across the table into you while it's spinning very violently. Yeah. And and I do wonder, how did he even get that enchanted? Who did he go to in order to get that enchanted? Because this is all before he went to the Land of Untold Stories. He was on this whole quest to find that key to take him to the mysterious island or the Land of Untold Stories. I'm going to go with Squid Ink for that one, Daniel. (laughs) Although I did write in my notes, now that is a squid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a very, that was almost scary if there were little children watching. That might have uh, given them some some nightmares tonight. Yeah, the CGI for this episode, um, I mean, yeah, television CGI is on a tighter budget, and so there are always limitations. But I still thought for being a television show on a tight budget that they have, the CGI was really good. The the visuals look great. The Nautilus look great. Uh, the yeah, the Kraken look great. Yeah, I agree. It was it was actually a very scary. I don't like sea creatures. It's not my. I don't really like anything slimy. So you know, like snakes, lizards, octopuses, anything under the water. So yeah, it was um, it was interesting to watch, and it was I, I the CGI was very. Very well done for that monster. Now, Aladdin and Jasmine. Uh, the more I see Aladdin, 
the less I'm thinking that theory that he's actually Jafar is true. But I really want it to be true because I love it when a show will hide something for a long time. And then when it's revealed, then you can go back and see, oh, yeah, here's a little clue. Here's a little clue. Here's a little clue showing that they really planned it that way all along, uh, which I think they kind of did with Zelina disguised as Marion. I'm not so sure they're doing that with Aladdin and Jafar now, but I want it to be true. <laughs> I've never thought that theory, but um, I would think this episode, it would be hard to kind of go there after this just because um, he was going to run away. Like he was going to run away from, well, he did run away from Jasmine and it took Emma convincing him, you know, it was a good heart to heart. And the more Aladdin kind of works, he reminds me very much of of Will Scarlet, but also very much of, of Neil and of Emma, like just going up to the car and breaking in. That's, you know, that's very Emma. It's also very Neil. I stole a stolen car. <laughs> um, so it makes sense that they're bonding and that they're gonna like have a connection with each other, even just based on that, Never mind the savior thing. It reminds me a little bit of Emma's relationship with August. It was very much like brother and sister kind of relationship and buddies and nothing at all romantic between them, uh, which would be really weird with this right now. But that that support that, hey, I've been where you've been too. Let me show you how to choose a different path. <laughs> and hearkening back to season one, the pilot episode with Emma's crashing into that sign, that was great. Even though the sign didn't look exactly the same as season one, it's still great to see how they put that together. Yeah, that was cute. I, I love all the throwbacks to season one. I think they know that that's been their strongest season so far. It really seems, and speaking of strength, that everything Evil Queen is doing to try and disrupt everyone and tear themselves apart, that she's actually getting the opposite results. That all of these things she's doing result in these people having stronger relationships, repairing their relationships. I wonder if that's sort of a game plan here of Regina's alternate self, that it's not necessarily evil queen, but it's it's a side that when, when everything is d done, and this is really difficult to try and explain what I'm thinking here, but when everything is done and Evil Queen is defeated, merged back, whatever, that Regina will realize, wow, this is a part of me. And there's this part of me that although it's something that I don't like, it helped me to help others. It's like any mistake you make in the past. It could be something that you could be ashamed of, embarrassed of. It could be a horrible, dark place in your life. But you can use that. You can use those mistakes you've made in the past to help other people. You can, you can uh, relate better with other people. You can tell people how you overcame the darkness or different things like that. That's kind of what I'm wondering if that's what's really happening here is. But then we see these moments with Evil Queen where it does seem like she is pure darkness. So maybe it's all an accident on her part that what she does is resulting in good things. Yeah, I think that especially with this show, just because of the flashbacks and flash forwards and flash sideways is 
we can always see as the audience how evil queens actions have actually perpetuated the characters into into positive things like if the evil queen was never trying to kill snow white she never would have met prince charming Mm -hmm. and then the whole story wouldn't be told and i think that um like i'm sure we can even reflect on these things in our own lives that sometimes something you know not good happens and you can completely when you're looking back on things when you're in a different place see how that has set you up for positive things in your life and it's it's kind of no different now with what evil queen is trying to do than with what evil queen has always done which is she's trying for evil but it's really resulting in characters making their choices and and meeting people that are going to help them and like being in struggle which is kind of keeping them in love and the same thing seems to be happening as well with all of the characters that Hyde brought over from the Land of Untold Stories. That here he brought Nemo over, and Nemo was the guy in the woods who was injured and taken to the hospital. And now Nemo and Liam have reconciled, and Liam and Hook have reconciled. And it seems like Nemo and Liam have the sort of father-son kind of relationship, which would be very understandable uh, given the nature of their background probably. And it seems like good things have come of this, even though Hyde brought these characters over to let their stories play out, thinking that, oh, you don't want these stories to play out. That's why I'm bringing them here. But it's happy endings for most, I know not everyone, but for most of them, they are getting some happy endings. I agree. One more thing I want to mention about this episode is just Emma wearing a dress for the entire episode it's very out of character for her other than when she was in the enchanted forest and wearing a dress was kind of expected uh, at a ball and such things um i think i can only recall us ever seeing her in a dress once and it might have been when she wasn't even an established kind of character yet like in the first five episodes and it just seemed very weird not not that it wasn't a pretty dress just i know other people in chat also commented on it like What's up with that? It's a very interesting change. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, we know that colors and what they wear is iconic to not only their character themselves, but also their emotions at that moment. Right. And she was wearing red, which is very Emma. Emma has always been in red. And I know they talked about that in the, um, the special before the premiere this season that she never gets to wear black and white, and she always has to kind of be the pop of color in the gray town. So they stayed true to that, but it just seemed seemed like an interesting choice. I, I don't know if they were just trying to show her as being kind of more homey, like she's, cook, well, cooking Pop-Tarts, not really cooking breakfast, but <laughs> preparing breakfast for her for her family and then off to do not sheriff stuff, just save your stuff, but... Um, yeah, it was, it was so weird to see her in a dress. I don't know about you, Aaron, but here in the U.S., and probably for everyone who was watching Once Upon a Time live on Sunday night on an ABC affiliate, we got to see a couple promos for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which I thought was really interesting. For one thing, that they're promoting it so heavily to the audience for Once Upon a Time. Very fitting audience. Great connection there. Makes a lot of sense. 
but that movie is Warner Brothers. This is kind of a prequel, as at least how they're marketing it, kind of a prequel to Harry Potter. And with this magical world and fantastic beasts and all of this stuff, it makes sense to market that to Once Upon a Time viewers. But what I thought was the nice extra step. And Erin, did you get to see any of this since you're watching in Canada? I did, yeah. We had we had at least, I think at least two um, trailers during the hour of Once Upon a Time for that okay. movie. Okay, great. So then you also saw uh, the actual thing where they were talking about Once Upon a Time, that some of the cast from the movie was talking about Once Upon a Time. And I thought that was a great way of connecting Once Upon a Time viewers with Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. We didn't get to see that. That's cool. Oh, okay. So maybe that was a U.S. only thing. They did play a little bit of a trailer. And they said something or other about an exclusive peek at Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which is coming out very soon here in the U.S. and also other places worldwide. But really nice of them to make that relevant to Once Upon a Time viewers. And with that great connection, even though it's Warner Brothers, not Disney, but it makes sense. I've seen a couple other shows do that as well, um, where the the cast is talking about the the movie that's being advertised, and it's really cool. I know the cast of Scandal did something like that last year, so maybe it's an ABC thing. So thank you, Warner Brothers, for making your movie relevant to Once Upon a Time viewers. And Once Upon a Time even had a line from Harry Potter in it tonight. What was that? They said, uh, Hook said, I have something to live for. And it just always reminds me of the very final trailer for... Deathly Hallows Part 2 with Voldemort and Harry talking and he just says, why do you live? And Harry says, because I have something to live for. Oh, oh, nice. Of course, there was a Star Wars reference. Everyone, I think, got that. I didn't get the Harry Potter reference, but that's nice. (laughs) Nice to see other things referenced inside of Once Upon a Time. So what did you think of this episode? What are your theories about some of these things going forward? How are the shears going to be used? What's Evil Queen planning? What's Rumple going to do? What's going to happen with Belle and the baby, Aladdin, all of this stuff? Where in the world, not is Carmen Sandiego, but is Agrabah, since it seems to have simply disappeared? Is it maybe the lost city of Atlantis? <gasps> I'm throwing random things out there. But we want to hear your thoughts and theories, so please send us your feedback. You can get our contact information in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 267. That's also where you can go to share this episode out. You can tweet it, Facebook it, Reddit it. You can share it on StumbleUpon and other places, and that's a great way that you can support the podcast. So if you can't afford a dollar a month to support the podcast or more than that, then please consider supporting the podcast by telling other people about it, sharing it on social networks and such, going into those once upon a time groups on Facebook or Reddit and sharing our episodes because we don't publish our own stuff very often in those different places. So we don't seem to be spammers, but you can share something that you enjoy in those places since you didn't create it, but you're a part of this with us. Even if you're not able to support us financially, you're part of this community. You send us your feedback. You participate in the live chat. You participate in the forums. You listen to the episodes and you just, you give us great support and smiles. And we're very grateful for that. So please go to oncepodcast.com slash 267 to get our contact information and send us your thoughts and theories for our upcoming full discussion, which will be on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time over at oncepodcast.com slash live. 
In the meantime, please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Aaron on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. Join us back for our upcoming full discussion at oncepodcast.com slash live. And until then, bring it, Queenie. And thanks for listening. <laughs> Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for making the podcast a success. If you want to be an amazing hero too, successful, know that you're accomplishing something in life by supporting the podcast, and you may be accomplishing plenty of other things too. Please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and thank you for your support.